Stallside Podcast is brought to you by Rudenriddle Veterinary Pharmacy. As partners in your animal's healthcare, we strive to bring you the highest quality medications, including custom compounds, that are formulated and produced right here in our pharmacy. Along with medications, we also strive to bring you high quality and relevant information, such as that available here on the podcast. So if you like what you hear and see, be sure to refer us to your friends and remember to hit that like button and subscribe to our channel. We've done a lot of great episodes already that you may need to catch up on with more just around the corner. One last reminder, nothing you hear on the podcast should be construed as veterinary advice, which should only come from a veterinarian with whom you have a relationship. Welcome to Stallside Podcast. Flying solo this week. Uh, my co-host Bart Barber is on a plane. I've always thought he's a little bit up in the air, and this just proves it. Uh, this week, we actually invite back one of our uh, very special guests, Dr. John Madigan from the University of California, Davis. He gave us a great talk on the Madigan squeeze, which he used for maladjusted foals at a previous uh, stall site. Today, he's going to talk to us about the California fires and the response to the horses that were burned. And this is going to be a fascinating talk. I'm really looking forward to his insight into how they managed that disaster and how they treated the horses, because I think there's something for all of us to learn in this situation. I mean, we're lucky over here in Kentucky. We may get the occasional barn fire, but we just don't have a statewide disaster that actually removes all the facilities and makes it difficult to treat the horses. So coming up next is Dr. John Madigan from the University of California, Davis, talking about their approach to disaster management with the fires that unfortunately are occurring way too often. John, welcome back to Stallside. Hey, good to see you again, Peter. Yeah, it's great to have you here. You know, we just really, uh, really were fascinated by the last talk you gave us on the uh, the neonatal maladjustment treatment, which we affectionately know as the Madigan squeeze. But, you know, you have uh, so many talents in so many areas. Um, we really want to talk to you about your uh, input in uh, FIRE and uh, the California fires and how that affected the horses. And so um, the floor is yours. Tell us about what happened and tell us about what you did. Very good. Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's uh, it's a big uh, issue now here in California. And then, of course, we're seeing it uh, elsewhere. So I've got some uh, PowerPoint things I'll put up and then uh, realize that some of the audience is driving. And so we'll try to... Uh, you know, explain what we're seeing there so that uh, there's some benefit from it. So let me let me see if I can uh, navigate the technicalities here as we do. So this is an update on some of the things we've had to cope with. And then uh, I thought, geez, some lessons learned, you know, because we're all just experiencing something new uh, with the uh, way fire is behaving and the magnitude of in uh, the frequency. So uh, the input here, I've uh, got some from myself, Dr. Monica Allman and Dr. Wally Lieberman, a practitioner in Northern California, and he's with the Northern California Equine uh, Practitioners Group. So, hey, you know, this is what it can look like on any particular day, Peter. They, we've just got uh, fires in multiple locations, so these can be rural and uh as they always say, you know, disasters start uh, locally and end locally. So, uh, and and veterinarians are going to be in that local response uh, to some extent or called on uh, or affected. So, uh, 
for those of us in California, they call it the Mediterranean climate, and uh, it's uh, unrelenting fire spread. It's a new behavior for fires. So when fires are moving 40 to 60 miles per hour and embers are jumping ahead, it's a new ball game because those embers usually would go out uh, when we had adequate rainfall and things like that, and uh, we don't. So these embers start, you get fires all over from the central fire, and these then affect the horse owners, the barns, the uh, pastures, and, and things like that. And that just creates a uh, real uh, a big need for evacuations that are uh, alarming in number and complex. So I was going to go through some of that because we don't, uh, we created a veterinary response team uh, at Davis in the early 90s. And uh, we have students that we train there. And I know the AVMA and other places are trying to get some more education uh, uh, out there in this particular area. So I got a little slide here, a little video showing because you're going to go out and see a horse. You're going to run into, you know, the small animals and all that. So you're, you're going to be... Uh, dealing with uh, picking up animals that are been left behind. So just to show you what the practitioner may get, this is a stallion trying to breed this mare, rope their patient, and then tie him to a tree. Uh, we call that cowboy up veterinary medicine. Yeah, I mean, you're really stuck for facilities there. I mean, everything's just burned around and you haven't really got much to work with. No, and you're by yourself because the people have left and, you know, you don't know the behavior and there's a stallion mixed in with the, the mare and I can't get a hold of them. So you end up roping them and and then, you know, doing the treatment, putting them into a safe area. So it's uh, those of us in rural veterinary practice and even in the hospital setting, uh, uh, we, we've got to cope with the uh, equine behaviors and we don't all, often know too much about the horses. So these guys that are in the picture here, uh, all we had to do was move them to a safe location uh, because they didn't have food and water uh, without getting into wire and falling through septic tanks and things like that. So some of it is just getting to the scene and uh, doing some little things uh, after the fire's gone through. That's part of it. So this video shows a little bit more. That's a station there for uh, bringing food in. And this this clip will just, I think, illustrate a lot. So there's your patient as you drive up. And this guy's got a fence post uh, that he tried to jump over that's uh, impaled him uh, in the chest. So we're feeding him until uh, we can get a rig in there and uh, and take care of it, uh, take him to a, this emergency triage area at the fairgrounds. That's a dramatic injury. Yeah. So you have to get those horses out. You got to have transportation. That means you got to have helpers. And they're all different species you're going to run into. And uh, this poor pig was burned pretty bad and we brought her to place. And then this donkey was found and then he went down at the shelter. So we're hauling him in. And we even did this. So I just left this in the video. We had these really nice koi fish that were pets for people. So you're there seeing the horses and you got, uh, you know, Noah's Ark. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't think us, you know, in this part of the country, we don't really comprehend what goes on and we say, okay, California's burning and let's face it, most of the country's burning in that uh, that part of the, the continent at some point and we really are insulated from that and we just don't really appreciate that, you know, people getting out of the way but then there's animals left behind and, you know, because we work on horses, we think about the horses but as you've just sort of shown pretty elegantly, um, big and small, they're all uh, in the same. They're all in the same pro- problem situation. Yeah, and then when these wildfires jump into a place where there's ten horses, forty horses, a hundred horses, all of a sudden we got ourselves, uh, you know, an extreme uh, uh, situation. So uh, anyway, I'll go over some of these evacuation uh, needs, and then. One of the problems is that these fires burn Peter so rapidly that, and they're in the middle of the night sometimes, and people drive through the doggone fire and the blaze, and the in in the, and they can't get to bring the animals with them. They're just trying to survive themselves. So you have to have a team that can go back in there after the fire has run its course, and you need the uh, credentials to do that, and you need some support uh, to get in there. So. For those that can't be evacuated just because they've got to drive out, the owners need to save their own lives and the fires are going rapidly in the middle of the night. Uh, So then we have to have a team and it's really good to have veterinary input there. And the Cal Fire guys that are, you know, been taking care of the hotspots, they may be uh, escorting you a little bit, but more than likely they're busy and they're going to show you on a map where uh, you can find the animals that need some observation, inspection, and care, and things like that. So um, then also just the issues of food and water and knowing you know, what horses need, <clears throat> separating the feed, yeah, such simple things. You throw the hay over the fence, and these two horses are fighting with each other. One gets kicked, and you got an injury just because you didn't have the supervision. So that's why I'm a real proponent of having the equine practice search and rescue thing and then also making a visual assessment stay there for a little bit look at all the wire and everything let's get some transport but it's not as bad as this donkey that's on the uh, on the road there that could get hit by uh, fire uh, suppression equipment so i think there's a lot of things that just the know-how the equine practitioner uh, can help with. Because burns, uh, you know, when we think of fire, then, oh, gee, the poor horse is burned. So we've got the smoke issues. And I'll look forward to some input from you there, too, because I know we've had some discussions on that. Just a little bit about evacuation, <clears throat> sheltering, got to have a place to, to house them. And then there's chaos during the fire and smoke phase and horses get nervous and are running around a little bit about triage. And then we got to, you know, we're all used to the wire cuts and the, the things that happen when horses are, you know, living in pastures and other things, but we've got these escape injuries and uh, we have to be prepared uh, for that. Loose animals in public places, knowing how to direct horses uh, in groups or catch them individually. And then some, sometimes that uh, there's some human injuries associated with it. So, you know, the triage is just sorting the, you know, the patients based on uh, need. And there's different types of non-disaster triage is probably the best care for each individual uh, when you've got the time and resources. And then in the disaster conditions, the most effective care, the greatest number, and you see the most urgent cases first. So like you 
commented with that horse with the uh, fence post. He was trying to run away from the fire. And then he's got this penetrating wound that uh, really needed uh, that horse to get out of that location. And then you see Dr. Allman and our UC Davis team there at the uh, uh, fairgrounds where we set up a triage and a shelter uh, situation. So I was involved with uh, a very large scale, uh, you know, uh, mass casualty uh, with some sheep a few years ago and 1400 sheep were burned. And so when you're saying, well, how am I going to approach this situation? You've got ones that are just, you know, parked there. So what we did was uh, we had the fire department come in. Once the fire was out, fill up some water, bring some feed out. Big picture triage. Sometimes you have to do that. So back to the smoke, uh, secondary smoke-related uh, uh, air quality uh, issues uh, are a concern. And so when you have to stay inside uh, for people, because these, these smoke goes into Montana, goes into Nevada, goes across all kinds of places, and in the Bay, it's, it's hazardous to be outside, and those horses are living outside. So uh, we suggest that events that that you know are planned and everything, we use the same guidelines for air quality index to say we ought to postpone this or that. And it takes about uh, the work shows three to four weeks after that kind of exposure before everything gets cleared when you don't really see a lot of uh, physical signs. And then, of course, the real inhalation situation, the immediate association with the fire where you have those hot gases, that's that's a different type of injury to the lung. And uh, they may show evidence of skin uh, thermal injury. And this is more frequent in stable fires, wildland fires, where the smoke is the secondary smoke. So this horse is breathing some, but he's not right now too close to that uh, the hot gases, and so that's going to be less uh, of an injury to the lung, nonetheless something there that we'd want to be aware of. And so you can have the pulmonary injury, direct burn injury from the gases actually burning the toxins in the gases, and then they can produce some hypoxia and hypoxemia. So if we get one place like Rude and Riddle, and other referral practices where we can run O2 and other things as part of our initial treatment and evaluation. So there's a little bit of detail on this, but I'll re read it because I think it may open up a line of therapy. And I know we've discussed that a little bit, but from the, uh, the pulmonary experts in the human field, they, they know that the bronchial blood flow increases once you get this smoke inhalation as a lung response. And then the airway epithelial lining and these protein exudates start leaking, then mucus from the globulate cells go kind of crazy and you get inflammatory uh, mixes there with some blood clots in the uh, airway lumen and they form these casts in these small airways. And they can completely occlude the airways, including the upper airways, resulting in airway obstruction. Um, I know that I'll get into three things. I'd like you to chime in with some of your experience too, Peter, if you would. When we get to that, but we may also have the, you know, the some of the smoke may be actually carbon in these apartment fires in New York and everything. People are dying, uh, not from the smoke damage, but from the, the component of the smoke being high in carbon monoxide, hydrogen cyanide. And then I pulled this up just to remind us that uh, 
It's a slide here showing that when furniture, upholstery, or clothing, or kitchen appliances are burning, or plastic things, and that that horse is in those different components, which are causing even more injury. So we have to be aware of that. So uh, once all that plugging of the uh, airways occur, we're going to get some hypoxemia and then poor tissue perfusion to certain uh, areas of the lung. And that's why the uh, emergency care can be uh, important because the end result of the injury is pulmonary edema, bronchoconstriction, and then a lot of secondary uh, uh, inflammation with free radicals. And then this coagulation cascade and then uh, respiratory distress from inflammatory cells. So when we've spoken about this uh, before on some of the uh, therapies we have down here, routine use of antibiotics anytime there's smoke, we don't do that. It's an individual decision. Steroids depends on the stage. Some evidence that if you start that too early, doesn't outcomes aren't good. Pulmonary edema later on, then you say, well, I've been in a different phase. So these are just the don't do this with every case kind of thing. But then the nebulized therapy and uh, acetylcysteine and some other things, maybe a comment, Peter, about that, because it, it would seem to make sense with when we see the pathophysiology and stuff. And I'm not aware uh, that a lot of us uh, are, are geared into knowing that that might be a route of therapy with some of these horses that have had the hot gas exposure. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, John. I mean, in a hospital situation, we're pretty lucky that we can easily nebulize things. And yeah, you mentioned about sort of barn fires, and I mean, this just sounds like a statewide barn fire, but we get them around here from time to time and the horses come in, and you're right, their airways are just all plugged up with um, blood and, and tissue sort of sloughing off, and um, acetylcysteine is something that's used in people, but I found some references to the use of um, nebulized heparin as well, and I actually yeah. used that on a few horses, and I found it really helped because, you know, as you say, I mean, there's blood in there, and if we can stop the blood clotting with the heparin, perhaps we're going to keep these airways open because ultimately that's that's the thing that's going to be the demise of the horse yeah yeah so it looks like there's a place for that with those those types of patients and then i think the thing to worry uh, be aware of when we have that hot gas uh, smoke inhalation if you will um just like the burns this stuff just gets worse over days these are some of the worst types of uh so i thought i'd uh Maybe just talk a little bit about the uh, short-term and long-term complications and uh, then uh, using telemed a little bit when you're out in the field. So you have uh, experts like yourself and others that are at the referral clinics. And if someone hasn't had quite the uh, magnitude of in these emergency situations where you've got some cell phone connections and we're FaceTiming and we notice, hey, uh, the exterior of the horse doesn't look too bad, but let's look at his feet and you see that you've got coronary separation because it's a grass fire. And that's why he's not burned up high, but the, you couldn't get away from it. And so it's actually burned and damaged the uh, hoof to the extent that the hooves are actually separating. And it may not be apparent to the uh, exterior of the horse, those kind of things. So that's uh, something that can be useful. So you're going to, if we go a little bit on burns, if we could, Peter, is that, you know, we're going to get skin, the cornea, the hooves, and the respiratory tract. That's going to be our areas of uh, major concern. And uh, 
when we first see one of these. This is uh, something that we can all do is cool the area with water or damp towels uh, for a few minutes to prevent thermal injury. They're still hot. Get the any blankets or halters off. They're melted in there. Uh, basically, you may be when you're first seen and you pull one of those horses out of there, there may be enough heat. So that's the thing to do. And then on our physical exam, most of the injuries around the head and the dorsum. And we won't know what the full extent is for 24 to 48 hours. So advising the owners and then, you know, setting up the observation. And uh, a lot of these horses get lit edema. And we saw this with the sheep. And very interesting that the uh, conjunctival edema can be so severe that you can't see the cornea whatsoever. And in, uh, there may be a little corneal damage, but that seems to be a protective uh, thing. There's a lot of secretions, edema and everything. So uh, don't be too quick to assume that you, you know, when the eyes are almost full and shut, that there is significant corneal damage. There may or may not be. And then, of course, we're going to look at the uh, respiratory tract, the effort, the rate, cough-induced, smoke inhalation, and then taking a real close look at the hooves and seeing what might have happened there. I think that's a great point on the hooves because that's something we don't think about because we're, you know, we see the skin burns, we see the, uh, the damage to the respiratory tract, or at least we predict that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that's something that, you know, like a grass fire, which is something we may not experience in a barn fire, but in the situation you were talking about, you're, you're, yeah, you say all that thermal damage to the hooves. And let's face it, hooves don't take damage like that very well. I mean, that would be tragic to have the horse survive in relatively good condition and then lose its hooves. Yeah. Yeah, and I've got a very good point you're uh, emphasizing there, and, and I'm going to expand on that a little bit. Because and then the cost when we get started with one of these, because burns are you know just going to be going you know the therapy is going to last a while. So when Dr. Bowolsey did her study and she looked uh, the cost per patient for these uh, wildfire burned horses in Australia were about ten thousand dollars per horse, and you need a team of people to care for each horse. So they actually were just, uh, you know, this wasn't uh, veterinary time. This was even with a lot of volunteers. So they started GoFundMe. Uh, I suggested that to her actually initially. And when you put uh, some pictures of some burned horses, you can the horse have a chain. Uh, are really uh, not able to uh, get to that financial uh, input to that magnitude. So if we go through the burns here, the first, second, third degree, I'll just go through this kind of quickly because that makes a decision sometimes in the field, sometimes when it gets to the referral clinic and uh, or the uh, triage area as, as we go through these. So the outer, the first degree is superficial. It's the red. There's no blisters. It's real tender to the touch because the uh, pain fibers have been uh, impacted. And those healing days, there's no scarring. So that's a good deal. Then we get into the more deeper partial thickness, the epidermis and the top of the dermis. And uh, we get some blistering pain, uh, intact hair, but you can start feeling uh, that the skin doesn't feel right. It's actually guts, uh, it's starting to crack and things like that. And there's no minimal scarring. So that's we're going from second to third degree all layers, including the basal layer. I've got a picture on the screen here, and you, you can see it just looks worse than, than uh, another one. You're starting to see erosions into the deep into the dermis, 
the hair falls out. These uh, healing are weeks to months, and we can expect some uh, mild scarring. And uh, so there's another third degree full thick, leathery skin, charred skin, loss of sensation. So that's something that's a, I think a take home point here is lose the pain perception. Then in a week to two weeks or a little longer, it starts coming back and then you can't uh, get your hands on those horses and they're suffering, their heart rates go up and that's the pain coming in. So we have to be aware when we're in third degree, that's going to happen. I think that's a really good point, John, because people would look on those horses as being comfortable as a marker of success, but all that's really telling you is they've lost the ability to sense pain, and when it comes back, they could be unmanageable. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, absolutely, really important to know about the uh, the burn situation. So, first degree burns uh, heal right away. Uh, superficial second degree, a uh, couple of weeks deep second three to four weeks and then the others you get past third and fourth degree you're in it for months and uh, a lot of uh, debridement a lot of daily care and uh, a real difficult thing and the prognosis of greater than 50 percent of the surface areas got second third or fourth degree burns it's uh we're going to get into some sepsis hemolysis renal failure myositis laminitis with those patients so the prognosis is not good so the real good article there, uh, I think that's uh, downloadable from uh, Equine Vet Education, uh, uh, Herbert, uh, 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 Dr. Elizabeth Herbert. So she followed eight horses, and it's a it's a nice sequence for somebody who decides they're going to get started with that. So I uh, suggest you take a look, and that's the Equine Vet Education, and that was in 2017. So I've got some pictures on the screen. Uh, those that are going to see the YouTube uh, aspect of this. And the horse comes in and you see the skin looking like that. Can you determine the outcome? And then here we are uh, as time progresses, looks what happened. So uh, those that are seeing this is kind of graphic, but uh, all of a sudden the skin's coming off. And I just put a little histopathology that uh, uh, Dr. Affalter uh, put. So you see the normal skin and then you see the abnormal in those pockets underneath. That's what see initially and you got that leather like skin on the outside man there's some real damage underneath and that's going to show itself in a in a little bit so the other thing uh you know you can get hemolysis renal failure and uh, you got to get some iv fluids into these and then if the lung's been damaged we have to watch our rate so we don't get pulmonary edema uh so when you mentioned about the uh, feet, so I'm going to show a little bit more. So those that have a chance to see the video, this is a sheep three weeks out after the fire and she was walking okay. And that's because the burn, uh, the pain receptors and the hooves, uh, and you can see she's healing in her face and everything. But then uh, the, the magnitude of the injury, the hooves, you know, became apparent. So we'll see that. And then that's the uh, hooves coming off the sheep at a later date. We can have those coronary bands really severely hurt. And one thing Dr. Woolsey wanted to point out is the, the areas look hyperemic so much the feet and all those horses did okay. So depending on the circumstances, and, and a lot of it is you're doing okay, and then the feet start suffering laminitis. They can get sleep deprived because uh, they're having trouble laying down. 
One thing we found is that these compression bandages and those that have a chance to see the PowerPoint, these are specifically made for horses and and the heart rate and then wanting to burned areas is remarkable. And then the other one over here, we see that tilapia skin. Uh, We've got some folks that are doing grafting and other things, but a long, long long-term care. So wrapping these things up really tight for wounds thing really seems to help. So uh, just a little bit about uh, some uh, other injuries that we see with wildfires, if I could, if it's all right, if I go with this, because it just to be prepared when you're uh, called out, if you will. So a lot of these horses are scared of all, you see the firefighters there and the flames and everything. So they get into, to get them into that triage area, have some, when you go into the area with your vet truck, you like, they can tell you things are changing and then some transportation behind you besides your vet truck and that's where you go through these areas and then this horse here we're not going to hang some iv fluids in the field because we got too big an area to cover but we're going to get them in the trailer and get them out and this one thing about evacuation that really is important and we've learned and uh, is that some people are hesitant to go because they're checking on the radio where's what's place is going to be open what we've suggested to people is leave the area at risk, get into a safer area, then make that determination where you're going to subsequently end up. Uh, and you see this horse, uh, it, it's kind of funny, he's tied to the pole with no parking at any time. And he's on the edge of the fire uh, area and just got walked out. So that's really important. We tell and educate our horse owner, get the horse out by whatever means, this is how they do in Los Angeles, Peter. For those who don't see it on the screen, it's a Jaguar. I guess they call it Jaguar. Uh, uh, convertible with the trunk up and a young lady leading her horse out. And good for them. And you'll notice that the young lady uh, has her helmet on. So they're following all the good rules. But I'm, I'm telling you what, I love seeing this because they say, I don't have a trailer. I don't have this. Well, you got the Jaguar, Mom. Open that dang trunk and we're headed out. So pretty cool. So your options are to evacuate shelter in place with the magnitude of these fires. That's getting really harder to do because the intensity and the heat, they just melt the cars, Peter, melt the rims of the cars. You see these puddles of uh, silver things and it's the aluminum wheels that have uh, melted and everything. So, you know, just to emphasize evacuate early, evacuate early. So just uh, move out. So just a comment about this, because our veterinarians are asked, because we're the experts on a lot of this stuff, is that if you're in a real bad and, and the fire's coming really quickly, should you turn the horses loose? And in general, it's not the greatest idea, but there's going to be some circumstances where the barn roof is on fire and you can't get a halter on all these guys. So the idea is if you have some idea about secondary containment that can be really important let those horses out and where they can be away from the flames and uh and they will try to go back in the barn so make sure it's not just a walt disney uh you know story they will go back where it's safe right right into the flame so this video that i'm showing here is from southern california and the flames are on the roof. So they just made the decision to open it up. You got 120 racehorses running around and the injuries to people and, and uh, those around it 
were epic. And so, uh, but the, 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 the fire was right there. And that's because these embers came in and they weren't able to get the horses loaded up. Chaos. That's what we talk about the injuries that occur during chaos for people. And otherwise, the firefighters are trying to get the roofs out. The embers are coming on top. You got 20 shed rows there. So that that's why that can happen. So, you know, uh, evacuation carries risk to, you know, lots of injuries. And then the other thing is that, gosh, you know, we're dealing with some herpes outbreaks now, some uh, EHV uh, one uh, neurologic disease at several stables in California. So now we're coming in there and we're not, we don't have our, you know, biosecurity hat on right away. So we try to think about it the best we can, but if we've got horses with a temperature, we get them out of there. Fire suppression guys are going to help uh, fight that fire around. So uh, if, if you just a little bit more about turning horses loose, they'll try to re-enter the danger area. If you do have to turn them loose, get a hold of nine one one. So the firefighters are coming in know there's horses on the on the roadway, and then try the secondary uh, confinement. So. You know, just, you know, when you say, well, how do I get involved? I'm going to finish up with that, if that's okay, Peter, is that, you know, what is some of the organizations doing? Well, I think uh, I'll use an example that Northern California Association Equine Practitioners, President Wally Lieberman, you see him there with me, and we were doing a training, uh, equine airlift training. But they're formally integrated into the county. So if you want to get in and help, you have to be part of the emergency system. It's just not like we're driving to our our clients. And so they're all registered disaster service workers. And so what they did, just an idea, they have an emergency response trailer. Uh, they had deployments spanning 52 days in 2020, uh, 30, uh, 300, almost 400,000 acres and different ones. Uh, they have medical records set up for mobile things. And here's what they found. I just want to want to share this is the most common issues were wounds from the deflected thing. So we, when we're thinking, let's get prepared to go help out. Well, you know, colic and uh, some lameness issues where they've hurt themselves running around and things with the eyes. So be prepared for that. And uh, that, that 20% of those in the shelter ordinary care. So uh, just a little bit about feeding, you know, you'd think, well, they're feeding four times a day. We've got colics like you wouldn't believe from the, 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 the you know, the richer the, the alfalfa, the more the volunteers wanted to feed that poor horse that's been removed from his house and stuff. So we need to be part of that and keep uh, good treatment records there. You know, this all has to be set up and organized. And uh, the Northern California group, they do the animal ID when it comes in. For our horse owners, a little take-home point uh, when your uh, practitioners are talking to horse owners about this. And I think we should want to share them, right? Your, uh, uh, you know, podcast thing and then on YouTube so we can get the word out to the, uh, the horse owners is that take a photo of you with your horse. So that if the ID that you have, whether it's a, you know, sometimes the broodmare collars or people paint something on the horse, but you can, you can identify the unique uh, features and have yourself in the picture. So that's important. We've got our database and the average deployment for veterinarians in this group were 17 days. So they took up some of their vacation times. 
number of sheltered horses getting care was 54 out of 271. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's lots for us to do. Wounds, GI, lameness, ocular problems, and all that. So 5% received IV fluid. So we often think we're going with the burns. We got to have a boatload of that stuff. Not that many. Uh, 7% referred out of there for tertiary care and 2% uh, euthanized. And this is from Dr. Lieberman's uh, good presentation at the AEP. And burn care wasn't a common component because we referred those cases in. So uh, that's kind of it uh, that I would say on here is that you can see the equine practitioners and the students all working away there, uh, Peter, and uh, it's going to be something we're going to face again this year. It's so dry here. So hopefully sharing some of these points that we've things we've learned a little bit will, will help others be prepared when they uh, try to help out. Yeah, this is um, sort of fascinating, but morbid stuff, but there's a need. And uh, you're exactly right. I mean, there's going to be nothing surer than that's sort of going to be faced again. Um, it's pretty tragic to see the situation that some of these animals have gotten into. And that burn scale that you showed from first degree to fourth degree burns is actually really sobering. And seeing the, um, you know, those horses that, because they can't feel anything, you think you're doing okay. And then all of a sudden they get the sensation back and you've got a horse that's going to be very resistant to treating. I mean, they're going to get sick of being treated anyway because of the intensity to what's going on. And then when the pain kicks in, how do you control the pain in those horses? What is your recommendation to people managing these horses? Yeah, I've got, uh, I can uh, pull some of those up, but uh, we're ending up using CRIs and uh, of various uh, compounds, including detomidine, ketamine, mm -hmm. uh, the big time things, the butorphanols and all that. So uh, it is that intense that we have to go to the CRIs. And uh, I've got some charts and I'll, I'll put them in there for the group that Dr. Allman put together uh, on how to formulate and which ones that we ended up using. Uh, and then the sad part is that this, they, they just, uh, each day that pain, when it starts coming back, just gets worse and worse. And you're into it three weeks sometimes. The owner's got a lot of financial commitment. And uh, and th this horse is getting to the point where it, can, it can't take it. Yeah, yeah. And that'll be the sad thing. When people think about the immediate losses when there's a fire. But they don't think about the losses, you know, weeks to months down the line when all the care has been given and the horse loses its hoof or it becomes intractable for pain or the behaviour has changed to the point because of the trauma they've been through that they're no longer a, a valid companion animal. And, you know, everybody moves on to the next thing, right? And they just, they just forget that you guys are out there working day in, day out for weeks to months to try to get these horses rehabilitated and the other animals that you deal with as well. Yeah, well, Dr. Woolsey has a, a, a bright uh, spot that, you know, with the months and months that they went through and the teams and whatnot, that uh, her got some good uh, outcomes. But, oh, gosh, was that a extensive thing. And she couldn't handle more than even with 15, 20 volunteers, more than eight horses. And so it gives you an idea that it's, it's possible, uh, but there's some real uh, uh, hiccups along the way. Yeah, I mean, the intensity of the care that these horses need. I mean, just, you know, when you're showing the images, for, for those that didn't aren't able to see the um, the YouTube, those that are just listening, I mean, bandaging the entire horse with compression bandages to control the pain, 
and probably to some degree control the granulation tissue. I mean, that is absolutely a full-time job for somebody to try to keep those horses on an even keel. And I just really didn't appreciate how much went into it until I saw this. And so, you know, we get the occasional barn fire around here and, you know, we're lucky we can hospitalize and, you know, it's just going to be a few horses and we've got a facility where, you know, we can actually house horses, we can run fluids, we can set up um, CRIs. And you're out there in in the middle of a, pasture that's had the fence burned down and there's embers everywhere and everything's flattened and you're trying to do what we do and we think we're hard done by and you're actually out there doing the real work so it's a little bit humbling to see what you've done oh well it's a great team we have here you know at school so we're we're pretty lucky and uh it's sad that we're getting better at it because the problem (laughs) keeps reoccurring and so we're learning a little bit and hopefully sharing some of this that uh uh, on the prevention side, that's the uh, the key thing. Uh, that's why it was uh, included, uh, you know, the evacuation and some of the other yeah. things. So, yeah, and I think that's a good point too. Is that you're right? This is going to happen again. There's no, this is not like a one in a hundred year thing. This is at least once a year thing. And and just having a plan, an evacuation plan. How I'm going to take my horse and where am I going to take it to? And you know, if there's some first aid needed, what should I actually have on site to actually do that and actually set these horses up for success? Um, again, I, that's we're just grateful to be able to get this, help you get this information out, and uh, we really appreciate your time and presenting this information to our audience because it's such an important thing. And again, over here we don't think so much about it in Kentucky, but the wisdom that you've learned from dealing with these horses and these fires, and we can directly apply to barn fires over here. You know, as far as treatment and pain control and how you're managing these wounds. I mean, as you say, it's a terrible thing to get better at this. Uh, but you know, ultimately, you're going to benefit us over here when we have a barn fire because we're going to learn from what you've found out. Oh, well, great! I hope it helps. Yeah, it certainly will help. So, John, I thank you for your time and your expertise. Um, it's been a pleasure. Um, you're very generous with your advice, and uh, you know, I think you're going to stimulate a little bit of thought amongst our audience. And, and I thank you for that. Well, my pleasure, and uh, I think it's a great uh, service you're providing with your stallside chats and podcasts, so uh, very happy to help out. Excellent. Well, um, all the best to you and yours, John, and uh, say a big pat on the back for your team over there. They're doing some noble work, and uh, our thoughts go with you. So um, that was Stallside this week. We were talking to Dr. John Madigan from the University of California, Davis, about the fires in California's and the, uh, the horses and uh, the treatments and the things that they had to do to make things better. See you next time.